Here's some fancy words for you. We affirm that Scripture communicates God's truth to us verbally through a wide variety of literary forms. We deny that any of the limits of human language render Scripture inadequate to convey God's message. Like that one? How about this one? We affirm that translations of the text of Scripture can communicate knowledge of God across all temporal and cultural boundaries. We deny that the meaning of biblical text is so tied to the culture out of which they came that understanding of the same meaning in other cultures is impossible. What the heck was all that? Those were Articles 10 and 11 of the uh, 1982 document called the Chicago Statement on Biblical Hermeneutics. That's right, last name Nudix, first name Herman. He wrote a statement back in 1982. <laughs> and we are talking about it here on the Faith Debate. I am uh, apparently much amusing David Forsey. Uh, he pastors a church uh, south of Frederick, north of Frederick. We've got Imran Razvi and Daniel Razvi, pastor a church there. And I pastor a church pretty much dead center in Frederick. Uh, my church is called Household of Faith in Christ. You can find uh, me and my contact information. And therefore, me- reach out to all these guys if you need to or want to uh, through that website. It's householdoffaithinchrist.com. If you want to go straight to the Razzies website, they have one. It's called uh, uh, Conquered by Love Ministries, and their website is conqueredbylove.org. So we spent a few weeks talking about the Chicago Statement on inerrancy in the 1970s, and then we got in our DeLoreans last week, and we, we motored on at 88 miles an hour to 1982 and and uh, met Mr. Nudix, uh, Herman to his friends. So hermeneutics, fancy term for interpretation, basically principles of how to uh, understand uh, what's written in the Bible kind of thing. And so we went through the first nine articles in this statement last week, and I just read the, the, the next two, articles 10 and 11. It's talking about um, the variety of li- literary forms. A couple of weeks ago when we were talking about inerrancy, I think David Forsey, uh, brought that up. He mentioned that some of the Bible is poetry, some of it's history. Um, I can't remember what other examples you gave. You gave those two, and you might have given a couple more. But there's there's legal code, there's genealogy, uh, there's um, apocalyptic, uh, there's gospel, which I uh, I view as a separate literary genre all its all its own. There's epistle. I mean, there's all these different kinds of literary forms, and it's all still the word of God. And I don't think anybody really argues that. The problem, though, is misunderstanding that that's true when you're trying to interpret Scripture. You shouldn't interpret a historical passage as though it's poetry, <laughs> right? or vice versa, for that matter. Right? Some of them are... Um, you, you interact with a psalm differently than you interact with, you know, 1 Corinthians. They're different literary forms, and so you need to recognize that that's the truth, right? We all... I think we all get that. Is there anything in the next one, uh, Article 11, you want to talk about? Yes. In fact, I am not going to disagree with it, but it's, it, it's not quite the way I would have worded it. Um, especially the second part says, uh, well, the first part, we affirm the translations of the text can communicate knowledge of God across all temporal and cultural boundaries, so it, does, it can be translated so that other people understand it. We deny that the meaning of biblical text is so tied to the culture out of which they came that understanding of the same meaning in other cultures is impossible. No, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it is extremely tied to the culture out of which it came. God has given the word with a specific people to a specific people group that was that has their own distinct culture that still exists today that I think is 
extremely helpful in understanding what the meaning is. Not to say that it's impossible uh, to understand it in any case, but that it is, uh, I would say, necessary to fully understand it is to understand the culture to which it was written. Yeah, and I don't know that the authors of this would disagree with that. I think there's, and, and, that, That's why I said I don't necessarily disagree. And with, be but, that that's true, the other cultures can still understand it. Yes. Right? Yeah. But it's important to, to, to view it through the lens of the Jewish people and, and their culture. Yeah, and I'm assuming, I, to be honest, um, I, I'm not sure where it's coming up, but I'm sure they're going to be talking about that. Yeah, and this reminds me of uh, The Peace Child. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, you know, the culture just felt that, hey, um, Judas was a hero because he was able to betray somebody. And that was their culture. And so, yes, culture does matter. And so we had to, they had to explain, well, Jesus was the peace child. You can't betray the peace child. And then they understood what the Bible was trying to say. So culture does have a strong meaning. And as I said, it's not that it's impossible, but it, it should be culturally appropriate. You need to look at the culture. I think practically why this is an important thing and why it's you know made it at number 11 here on their list is too often the habit is the culture isn't going to understand this word. So we have to change what the scriptures say <laughs> to meet the culture. Right. And they're saying, no. The scripture can meet the culture as it is. You don't have to change it. You shouldn't change right. it. You know, God forbid right. you change it. Well, um, that, that's the next sentence, right? We affirm in the next article, Article 12, we affirm that in the task of translating the Bible and teaching it in the context of each culture, only those functional equivalents which are faithful to the content of biblical teaching should be employed. We deny the legitimacy of any methods or of methods which are either insensitive to the demands of cross-cultural communication or distort biblical meaning in the process. There's a really good example of this, which it's in, of the opposite of what Raz was saying about the peace child. There's another missionary story. Um, I think Bruchko is, is the name, and I, I, I do disagree with this, this man's uh, process. He came across this culture who um, likes, to, uh, uh, you know, li likes to eat pigs, for example, and so he would translate that the pig is a healthy animal in the Old Testament. Well, you can disagree on whether you Christians should eat pig or not, but that's not what God said in the, in the Old Testament, right? So you can't just change it because the culture likes eating this. And then the, the other one was, well, he was reading, the wise man builds his house upon the rock, and the foolish man builds his house upon the sand. And the villagers told him, no, 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 sand is stronger. You should put it deep into the sand. If you put it on the rock, it'll flood and, and, and wash away, because in, in their topography of that climate where they are, that was a true statement that they were saying. So he just changed the translation of the Bible to say the wise man built his house on the sand. And that's, I think, what this uh, statement is trying to say. No, you can't do that. Just because there, you, know, you, you, you can take a little bit of liberty in, in translating a figure of speech, for example, but it still needs to say what God originally said in the context of which he said it. Um, and so then you just need to educate the people saying, no, what, where God is talking about in that climate there, it really would be a foolish thing to build your house on the sand, and you're just going to have to take my word for it. It's kind of like translating things about snow, and if somebody who's never seen snow, well, you can explain what snow is. And I think that's very important. Yeah. Okay. I don't have anything else to add to that. David? Raz? No? All right. Article 13. We affirm that awareness of the literary categories, formal and stylistic, of the various parts of Scripture is essential for proper exegesis, and hence we value genre criticism as one of the many disciplines of biblical study. We deny that generic categories which negate historicity may rightly be imposed on biblical narratives which present themselves as factual. Um, 
Yeah, these uh, generic categories negating the historicity. Basically, this would be those that are saying it's all a myth, right? It's, it's, it's no different right. than all the other myths that are out there. It's religious literature. What do you expect? And they're saying no. <laughs> if they're saying it's factual, then we have to treat it as though it's factual. That's right. Mm -hmm. So we have nothing to add there. So far, we're not arguing about these at all. Um, other than wanted to clarify in Article 11 a little bit. Article 14. We affirm that the biblical record of events, discourses, and sayings, though presented in a variety of appropriate literary, uh, literary forms, corresponds to historical fact. We deny that any event, discourse, or saying reported in Scripture was invented by the biblical writers or by the traditions they incorporated. This is probably a little bit more of the same... Uh, uh, said differently from the previous one, the way I'm understanding. Well, if they're not saying they're not making it up. So even in passages where it's not like a, a written like a history book, <coughs> it may speak to a historical fact which didn't did really happen. It's not you know just you know if it's a no by the way like you could read some passage in a poetry book, and um, in fact that's. Um, a good, great, great example of that is in Psalms where it says there's paths of the seas and it sounds very poetic and all that but some guy reading that is the one who discovered the ocean currents because he's like well God said there's paths in the seas maybe they really are and there actually were um, so just because that Psalm wasn't a historical passage or, or a scientific textbook doesn't mean that when yeah. it speaks on science it, it's true it, it is, I, mean, it, it is I think true. it's it talking is. specific about uh, events, though, right, in this particular article, recorded events, historical yeah, events that are reported well, as this is what happened. This is a sequence of things that happened. Name, that, names of people and places. Yeah. And dialogue and what so-and-so said to the other person. Yeah. And all that. All right, article 15. We, have, we should get like a, a little like a announcer voice with all sorts of bells and whistles. 15, 15, 15. We affirm the necessity of interpreting the Bible according to its literal or normal sense. Uh, the literal sense is the grammatical historical sense, that is, the meaning which the writer expressed. Interpretation according to the literal sense will take account of all figures of speech and literary forms found in the text. We deny the legitimacy of any approach to Scripture that attributes to it meaning which the literal sense does not support. Everything I would have to say about this I said a couple of shows ago, so I have nothing more to add. Anything you basically you... said that word for word <laughs> last, last time. So, yeah, I think I agree with that. All right, Article 16. We affirm that legitimate critical techniques should be used in determining the canonical text and its meaning. We deny the legitimacy of allowing any method of biblical criticism to question the truth or integrity of the writer's expressed meaning or of any other scriptural teaching. This, this is almost like inside baseball, I think, because they got people in, in academia saying, you guys... You don't you apply any sort of critique or critical method to understanding them. And they're like, no, no, we do. Just not the way you guys do, because the way you guys do is wrong. <laughs> right. Well, they're saying you, you can look through logically to figure out whether it means what you think it means. But that's different than coming at it with a, with a chisel and trying to chip away at, at the meaning of the text. The intent really matters. All right, I think we're up to 17, right? 
Yep. We're going through these faster. I think we, we already covered so much, accidentally covered some of this ground in the previous shows that we don't have to talk about this as much. We affirm the unity, harmony, and consistency of Scripture and declare that it is its own best interpreter. We deny that Scripture may be interpreted in such a way as to suggest that one passage corrects or militates against another. We deny that later writers of Scripture misinterpreted earlier passages of Scripture when quoting from or referring them. That's um, that last statement, like um, the virgin birth is an example, talking about, you know, right. Matthew says that, oh, the virgin will give birth. And they're saying, ah, he's playing, playing fast and loose because virgin in the Old Testament, it could have been just young woman. And, well, first of all, there's all sorts of textual analysis there that would militate, uh, mitigate or militate or whatever were there is against that. But let's just say for the sake of argument, okay, fine. Matthew wasn't changing the meaning. He was choosing one of two possible meanings at the very least and using his context. And, and clarifying that that's actually what the meaning was yeah. in case there was any doubt. So because Matthew said it, we know that that's what the meaning was. And this is important too because there are a lot of people that I, you know, it seems of late. I don't know why. I'm not sure what's in the water. Maybe I'm just traveling in slightly different circles than I used to. But people who want to insist on something uh, I think maybe it has to do with, I don't know if you know the name Michael Heiser, but Michael Heiser's a big academic guy. He's written some books and he's pretty controversial. I would argue pretty heretical. Um, and I think his influence maybe, but he wants to take like a, a text from, I don't know, uh, Exodus, let's say, and you're not allowed to understand what it says in Exodus based on what we know from the New Testament. We can only examine Exodus in the context of Exodus. I think that's an interesting exercise, but I don't think that's... Oh, yeah, I think... It, oh, that's absolutely. Yeah, that's it, all we're You can put do. yourself in the shoes of the people who first heard Exodus and see if you can figure out some things. And then you read the... It's kind of like reading the, uh, reading the answer book. No, I agree that it should be done. But I disagree that that's all that should be done. Right. And I think that's what this article is making sure to make the point that, the, you know, uh, you, you can use the New Testament. Uh, you should use the New Testament to understand what we call the Old Testament. It's the one same God who wrote the whole thing. So uh, where did I leave off? 18? Yeah. Mm -hmm. time we got here? We got, we're halfway about through this show, a little more than halfway through. We affirm that the Bible's own interpretation of itself is always correct, never deviating from, but rather elucidating the single meaning of the inspired text. The single meaning of a prophet's words includes, but is not restricted to, the understanding of those words by the prophet and necessarily involves the intention of God evidenced in the fulfillment of those words. Some of these articles are easier to hear and understand. Some of them almost have to read them to understand what they're saying. This might be one of them. Uh, but the denial here is we deny that the writers of Scripture always understood the full implications of their own words. Uh, I, I would say we, we don't really know for sure whether they did or not, but they don't have to have understood the full implications of their words in order for it to be Scripture. Yeah, I, would, I think that we can know with well, the writers, yeah, the, the writers of Scripture always understood. Uh, yeah, I mean, so you think about prophets in the Old Testament. Did they always understand everything, you know, that would, that their words were saying would come to pass? You know, I, not necessarily. Yeah. I, I think, I think that we know that they certainly had a, a, a vague idea, right, of the Messiah and 
what the Messiah would be like and do. And but uh, yeah, that's a whole interesting study, by the way. If you want to do a really, really deep, like uh, um, particular kind of a study, you can see if 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 you are open-minded about it, you can see ample evidence in the uh, what we call the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, of indicators that are pointing to uh, the Trinity knowing what we know to be true about the Trinity and shining that light on it, you can see it recurringly throughout the pages of the Old Testament. But did the people who wrote it understand the Trinity? I'm going to guess they probably didn't, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe those particular individuals were given a special insight so that they would know. I think, I think there was maybe a lot more understanding than you might think. I mean, just look at Job says, Oh, I know my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the... Like, Okay, well, that's a pretty clear indication that he had had a good idea of who Jesus was yeah, or yeah. is. Um, so it wasn't just that they were looking forward to some future day when everything would become clear. I think godly men were uh, did have some understanding, but yeah, the full implications. I mean, we, even now we'll having every, understand the full implications. we don't even have the full implications, right? right? And, so, and, we, and we might not even have the full understanding in glory. We'll have a much fuller. But there are certain, I mean, we're not God. We are always going to be finite. There's, only, there's going to be some limitation on what we can know well, and, and understand. What, I think what they're trying to say is that if, you, if you're going to say that they have to have understood everything, and if they didn't, then it, it, it wasn't really God speaking to them. No, God doesn't just give the entire plan. It's a need-to-know basis. So they may or may not have understood that that's kind of irrelevant to whether the scripture is inerrant. It would be important, uh, an important consideration if we were going to say that the, well, if the author didn't even know what he's talking about, then we can't trust it because he didn't know what he's talking about. But we have to understand that the human author isn't merely the author. God is the author, right? So God knows. God knows the full implication. <laughs> and and just, just like a general may give an order to a corporal and the corporal doesn't understand the order, but he has to relay the order word for word, it's still an order. Yeah. Uh, the, I don't think I read 19 yet, right? We just did 18? No. So 19, we affirm that any pre-understandings which the interpreter brings to Scripture should be in harmony with scriptural teaching and subject to correction by it. We've kind of touched on this already a little bit in the last few shows. We deny that Scripture should be required to fit alien pre-understandings inconsistent with itself, such as naturalism, evolutionism, we've talked about that, scientism, secular humanism, and relativism. All of those are problems today in the world, yes. right? Not much has changed since 1982. It's only gotten worse, actually. Naturalism, evolutionism, scientism, particularly scientism, uh, secular humanism, and relativism. Everything's relative. Mm -hmm. and, no absolute truth and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, part of what this is saying, in essence, this article, is that, uh, right, Scripture is not subject to something outside of itself. It stands alone and above. And everything else is subject to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine to have a, a, a science understanding, right? But we don't read the Bible through a scientific grid. We look at science through a biblical grid. That's, that's the difference. Article 10, uh, 20. Double X. Dos Right? That's a beer brand, I think. We affirm... That since God is the author of all truth, they're not a sponsor of the show, by the way. Uh, all truths, biblical and extra-biblical, are consistent and cohere. 
uh, and also affirm that the Bible speaks truth when it touches on matters pertaining to nature, history, or anything else. We affirm, further affirm that in some cases, extra-biblical data have value for clarifying what Scripture teaches and for uh, prompting correction of faulty interpretations. We deny that extra-biblical views ever disprove the teaching of Scripture or hold priority over it. We this kind is a of, dangerous one. Yeah, and we kind of talked about some of this already, but talk about the... The other aspects. Well, the further affirm is a little bit dangerous, right? We affirm that in some cases, extra-biblical data have value for clarifying what Scripture teaches, okay, and for promoting correction of faulty interpretations. You can, if you're not careful, you can take that and run with it to an extreme that's a problem. And a lot of textbooks and most seminaries these days really take that to the extreme. They say, well, this other extra-biblical source disproves it. And they're very clear. They say you can never disprove the teaching of Scripture or hold priority over it. So Scripture is always the most important. That doesn't mean there isn't any other. And, and, and you see this in, in Romans, right? Uh, Paul says that the Gentiles who have not the law uh, know by nature what, what the law is. They have it written in their, you know, in their hearts. So you can tell things about God just by looking around you without Scripture, and that is helpful, um, but Scripture is still the most important and priority. Um, correcting faulty interpretations, I, I think I have a little bit of a problem with... The they might have had, like, Galileo in mind or something. Galileo was correct. Right, but the, a lot of people in the church were teaching the centrality of uh, everything revolving around Earth. Which it does. Oh. to where you stand. Wasn't Galileo's view? Yeah, or, 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 you're right. Galileo was the heliocentric model, and then uh, su supposedly other people believed in the geocentric model. They're both true, actually, uh, from, a, from a relative uh, standpoint, depending on where you stand. We had this discussion a few yeah. months ago. Um, but but the, the, they may have had some things in here in mind, but it's a dangerous road to go down to say that you could correct a faulty interpretation based on some other observation of the world. And I, I, I don't think that's a good place to be. I, I'm, I'm not sure if I agree because <clears throat> you can have faulty interpretation, okay? The earth is flat. That's faulty interpretation. But sure. then you get other uh, information and you realize that the fault, that's a faulty interpretation. And that other information may be from extra-biblical sources, but now you know that that interpretation was false. So that's what this is talking about, that you could have a faulty interpretation, but as information comes up, it may not be biblical, but as it comes up, it, it doesn't change the Bible, but the interpretation that was faulty can be corrected. And, the, and, and that new information isn't correcting Scripture. Right. It's correcting our understanding, like, oh, because we're all, uh, yeah, we're all uh, victims of, is what I want to say, of our surrounding culture, right? We all have influences on us because we're, you know, the, the, the fish doesn't realize it's yeah. swimming in polluted waters because that's all it knows. We're swimming in polluted waters all the time and it's having an effect on us. And then if you happen to get into a stream of water that's cleaner and so you have new information, oh, I realize I need to, my vision was clouded before. It's not as clouded now. I have a clearer right. understanding. Maybe a good example is the eye of the needle thing. The camel going oh. through the eye of the needle, right? If you read that and you don't know what that means, you might think that he was talking about an actual needle, which would mean that it's impossible for a rich man to be saved. But we know there are rich men that were saved, rich men that were saved. So it's not that, you know, that's the case. There seems to be a, a, a spot passage. in the wall, a passage that was called the eye of the needle. Or, um, or maybe it's just... A figure of speech, right. possibly. But uh, uh, you could have originally had that interpretation that it's a literal needle. And in that case, you know, I think that's a faulty interpretation. Um, 
Well, I think where we where we are now, we've got like a, like a minute or so left um, in the show. So we're going to wrap up. We're going to stop with Article 20. So we'll do the rest in our, our next show. Um, and there's actually oh, some really interesting statements in their exposition section on this. Uh, on this, and uh, uh, there's pieces of that that we might touch upon too. So we're going to do at least one more, maybe maybe a couple of more um, episodes of the Faith Debate on this statement. And then they've got a statement on application that might be, maybe, mm. we might whip through that more quickly because we've we'll have covered a lot of common ground. But we'll probably touch on that too and put all of these Chicago statements behind us. I know that this could be a little heady and academic for some compared to some of the things that we do on this show, but we've been academic and heady in the past on this show uh, as well. We, we try to be a little bit of everything for all people in, in different seasons. So if this is heavier lifting, hopefully it's been a, of benefit to you. And if you appreciate this heavy lifting, I can't promise we're going to be heavy lifting all the time. Sometimes we're silly and goofy and talk about things that are relevant to the news around us and those sorts of things too. So uh, anyway, thank you gentlemen for uh, making another Nice uh, series of shows. Uh, David Forsey, Daniel Rasvi, Imran Rasvi. Find the Rasvis at conqueredbylove.org. Find me, Troy Skinner, at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Till next week, God bless. <laughs>